Welcome to the Peg Leg Podcast. I'm Greg Marshall. Today, I'm having a conversation with Brian Anderson, who I've talked to before on the podcast. Brian does play-by-play for the Milwaukee Brewers and Turner Sports on TNT and TBS. He does PGA. He's now the voice of NBA 2K. He's done some TV stuff, right? There's a lot of exciting things to talk about, but in the midst of all of that, what I want to talk about today is what, is a, is what happened on February 7th, 2023. LeBron James broke Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record of 38,387 points during the game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Brian called that game and that moment, and I want to hear the story from his perspective. Hi, Brian. Hey, Greg. Good job. You had all your facts <laughs> in order. Yeah, I threw it together real quick, so I'm going to make sure I said things about it. good to you. be with you again. Yeah, you too. In so, the studio, in the Dave Olson yeah. studio. Yeah. It's a, it's a. feels very intimidating in here. It should. It should feel that way. Um, before I ask you any questions. Are you going to rap at some point? Yeah. Okay. But only if you do. <laughs> so this, uh, it was so fun watching this, uh, this call. I only really got to see like a short short time before the shot. Um, so I didn't I didn't have a lot of context for what had happened up to that point, which mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about a little bit. Um, but I want to play it first, the audio for it, and uh, ask you some questions about it. So here we go. To the end of the third quarter, LeBron James is shot in history, and there it is! LeBron stands alone! now belongs to LeBron James. That's called a layout. Yeah, I just want people to feel that, the amount of space that's there. Nothing really to add. You're still waiting. And it's not until he hugs his mom. An embrace from his mother. Gloria. Yeah. So, yeah, I was kind of, well... So if you see the crowd was going crazy and my I'm just waiting on the crowd to kind of simmer. Okay. But it stayed up for so long. Yeah. That was what was cool about it. I was just sitting there watching the monitor, watching the images go by. And it's always a big question of where you know whether to to when do you come back in or not? Cuz we all have time constraints and we have to the game's still going. <clears throat> they were going to stop the game for a presentation, but basically I'm just listening just like you were, waiting on the crowd to at least, if you think about it in waveforms, you're thinking about that waveform to just drop a little and then you can come back in. But it didn't for a long, maybe 40 seconds or so. Yeah. And so when I saw finally that the crowd kind of dropped a little and then we had the image of him hugging his mom, I figured that's when I would come back in. Because a lot of people may not know that that's his mother, which yeah. is a whole story in its own. So you weren't thinking beforehand, I'm going to come back once he 
like engages with his family. No, right? I didn't know they were. I I didn't know they were coming on the floor like that. I wouldn't. I didn't know what they were going to do. I knew they were going to stop the game, and I knew Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was coming out. Yeah. But other than that, it's just a free-for-all at that point. But why did you know her name? <clears throat> did you study that before? Yeah. Because that Before, and for years. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I've known. You've been in sports for a little while. <laughs> yeah, you just, uh, like, that. That that is one of the most important things for me is the names, the names of the families. We had been showing her throughout the game. And his wife, Savannah, and his two sons. So they were situated in seats around the arena. So he needed 36 points in this particular game to get the record. So you knew it was going to be late in the game somewhere. In this case, it was late third quarter. But there's a buildup to it. So that actually made it more dramatic. And as he's getting closer and closer we're showing his family. So we're identifying these individuals as we're going. And that's how I knew her name, though. So talk about the... I have, I have questions sp- about the way that you specifically did it and why. But what was the energy like in the room at first? Oh, like, who is there? What does crazy. it feel like? It's probably the, the most surreal setting I've ever been in in sports. It just uh, it, it felt like you were at the Grammys or the Academy Awards. And what's interesting, just two days prior, the actual Grammys were held in that same building. So it's almost like all those celebrities who are NBA fans that were at the Grammys, they just stayed. Almost in their own seats. (laughs) They obviously had to move to put the court down, but it felt like they all just slept there at Crypto.com Arena, which is where they host the Grammys. So walking into the arena, you still have a lot of the Grammy paraphernalia out. Um, they're still taking the stages out in the service entrance. You know, they're, they've removed it from the arena, and now they're, it's in a loading dock where we're walking by. So you can see the remnants of the Grammys still there on this particular day. Grammys were a Sunday. This is on a Tuesday. And then you walk into this scene and there, there's Jay-Z and Bad Bunny and Adele. And it's like, wait, am I at the Grammys right now? Or do they just want to see LeBron James? Um, celebrities everywhere. And I sat right next to Jay-Z the whole game. He was in the seat next to my table. And we're conversing throughout the game. And he's asking me about how many points and, you know, all of that. It was just very normal, just like a fan. Yeah. I and I don't normally engage with, like, fans. <laughs> but it's Jay-Z. But it's Jay-Z, so you're <laughs> like, oh, sure, I'm here to serve you, too, whatever you need. you need stats? Yeah. Do you need um, something from the snack spot? He had, a, he had a glass of wine, which I've never seen before on a courtside seat. <laughs> you know, they usually come in cups. He had a literal glass with wow. a stem and everything. So, How, how does that impact you? You have to be so focused on the game, but the, the excitement is massive. There's celebrities everywhere. Do you have like a, a switch that you shut off all of that or what happens inside of you? I think when you walk into a scene like that and, you know, everywhere you look, there are celebrities and, you know, just really high level individuals for whatever they're doing, whatever industry they're in. And you kind of know those folks. A lot of them are there at uh, regular Lakers games. That's a that's a scene. You know, Madison Square Garden and Crypto.com Arena where the Lakers play. That's those are 
the two scenes, you know, you're going to see individuals like that. So, but just walking into this scene was like, man, this is even bigger. It has that feel to it. Um, and so you knew they're there for a reason to witness history. And so you kind of acknowledge it. And I've really, as I've progressed in my career, I've gone into the acknowledge, compartmentalize, move on strategy. Um, 20 years ago, I would have been probably blown away and unable to speak for a while. But I've done it enough now where, you know, and through some training and through just uh, performance experience, you're able to put it into its own little case. I used to not acknowledge it, which is not a great thing to do. It's important to knowledge. It pretend like it wasn't cool? Yeah, like just... I'm here and this is what I do and I'm cool and I'm cool. I'm just as cool as Jay-Z. So it's better to recognize that I'm not as cool as Jay-Z and uh, acknowledge the moment that he's right next to me and then put it in its compartment, put it in the back seat, and then go about your job. Yeah. And so it's almost like two real key moments for me in any game I ever do, no matter the stakes. As soon as the national anthem hits, we're not on the air when the national anthem hits. So that is a moment of reflection for me. I stand there just like everybody else. I watch the singer or in this case, the sax player, who was amazing. And then that's kind of the time. It's like you have this 90 seconds or two minutes for this national anthem, and then let's click it into gear. It's almost a Pavlovian response where it's like, boom, okay, home of the brave. Now we're in. Headset mm -hmm. goes on. Now we're really in, and you're in your own little world now with your producer who's in your left ear, all the things that are happening, your partner, you're kind of locked in the pocket of the people you do this with all the time, twice a week in my case. And so really at that moment, now you're just, you're in. And then whatever happens, happens. I don't script anything out. I try not to. Uh, that's one area that I've changed quite a bit over the years is just be trustworthy, which is a hard thing to do. You're playing without a net, but trust your vocabulary, trust that what you're gonna see, you're gonna be able to turn that into words. Your brain's gonna function. And you're going to be able to spit something it's out. It's terrifying to so it, many people. Oh, man. It is to me, too, just knowing, like, ooh, two more baskets, six more points, four more points, whatever. He's going to have the record. I really haven't thought about what I'm going to say yet. You know, I have an yeah. idea of some things that, you know, but yeah. like I said, stands alone. He stands alone. The reason I said that is because he literally walked to the other end of the court, if you watch the clip, and he was all wow. by himself. And I was just thinking, like, wow, he's... He's, he's there all alone, this incredible moment. And everybody's watching this. His All of his teammates, they're staying back. His family's not on the floor yet. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hasn't entered the scene yet. It's just LeBron standing by himself, standing alone on the other end of the court, wow. uh, which I thought was a really cool moment and powerful image that our director, Andy Goldberg, cut. And that that's why that came to my mind. Dang, so you didn't script that. All right, so more about that uh, in a second. Do you do you consciously remind yourself how many people are watching a game? How no. many how many people were watching that moment? Estimated. Uh, it was, I think, five million. I, I don't know what I don't know what the official numbers were, but yeah, it was. I think it was a three and a half rating, maybe five six million. But I don't I don't think about that. Yeah. I've never purposefully 
moved on from that because that that's the kind of stuff that'll wreck you when you know like how many people are watching this yeah uh and how many people are gonna watch it for all time with a moment like this mm-hmm. so that's i don't i mean i will acknowledge that it'll be a big audience again put it in a box and then never open that box <laughs> so rewind the night before i'm assuming you're in a hotel room in la mm-hmm getting ready for the game, which maybe means not thinking about it or it's thinking about it. Are you thinking about the game as a whole the day, night before or are you thinking about that moment more? Well, for this game, it was both. So you're doing a, you're almost doing a, a parallel tracks version of preparation. So your, your one track is the game, all the stuff that in, is involved in the game. That means all the stuff you would prep for <clears throat> for Oklahoma City, the visiting team in that in on this night. And, you know, they're a relatively young team and somewhat unknown to a national audience. So there was there was time spent on that. And then the Lakers and where they are and all the normal stuff you would do for the regular path of a team in this particular window in early February. And so that's one thing. So I, I do all that. Um, and I was doing all that and doing my normal thing there. And then, then the LeBron history chase, that's kind of the second piece. And so you may do game prep, but then you break off and say, oh, LeBron, let me, you know, what's interesting. And for me, it was just questions that would pop in my mind. When, when was his first points? What was the details of that? Um, how many points did he score in that game? He was 18 years old. So I go down the rabbit hole hmm. of questions that are interesting to me as he gets to this major achievement. He's going to be the all-time scoring champ in the NBA f- probably forever. I don't – I mean, he's going to go over 40,000 points. This is probably going to be a record that's never going to be broken, um, even though they said that about Kareem's too. But So for me, like, what were, what were the starting places of that? So I ended up on this major rabbit hole of – listening to interviews when he was 16, 17 years old. I I found an interview online on YouTube when he was a freshman in high school and he was starting on the varsity and just how, and he was playing football with Maverick Carter. Maverick Carter was his teammate, now his business partner. So that was the the path. It's like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, I didn't realize his mother was 16 when she had LeBron. Uh, the father's not in the picture, which I knew, and that's a pretty famous story. And and but she raised him. But also, when Kareem broke the record in April of 1984, almost nine months later, LeBron was born. So it was like eight months and three weeks. So in my mind, I didn't say this, but in my mind, I'm thinking he was like legitimately conceived about the time Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> oh my breaks the all-time scoring record in 1984. Fast forward to December 30th, LeBron James is born. It's like, whoa, is this mystical somehow? Are these uh, are we being placed in some in the clouds? Are we coming down from a spiritual perspective? I don't know, but yeah, it's that, that's what I those are the kind of things that I was was chasing, the beginnings of LeBron in this history. Yeah, what what's interesting to me about what you just said is your preparation was less about what am I going to say and more about what am I curious about? So your curiosity allowed you to kind of fill up the tank of stories and words, categories, 
And then you can trust that you pull from that as opposed to spending your time like, how am I going to say this? How am I going to say that? Yeah. Like, is that a difference that you're conscious of and that that you've grown into? Or is that just, no, that's just basic. Anybody who does what I'm doing is going to treat it that way. It's a great question. I, I don't. I can't speak for others. I would say most people would want something somewhat scripted or at least to know and, I, and i'm not saying i don't like i had an idea of areas i wanted to go i knew so the phrase the nba's all-time scoring record in that order is really important because it is the nba's all-time scoring record so if you change it, it's the scoring record all time in the nba it doesn't you know what i mean it doesn't make as much sense so those are things like okay i need to make sure that's buttoned up because that's the actual record that's the declaration of the thing that we're all here to see the nba's all-time scoring record it's almost like a verse in a song that you wouldn't want to mess up and get the order wrong so that was one thing for sure but the other stuff was more yeah it's uh, i've always told young broadcasters and i was i don't know who told me this at a very young age but but pay attention to be more interested than interesting and so if you're interested and not trying to be interesting, which is at like at the crux of exactly where this would go wrong for, a, for an announcer, if I'm trying to be interesting there and I'm adding all these phrases and cliches or trying to come up with the headline, uh, that's where it would go wrong for me because then I'm trying to be interesting. I'm putting myself into this, inserting me into this scene so if I'm trying to be interesting, then I feel like it's all going to go bad. And I've tried that before. When I was younger, I would try to have these phrases that maybe somebody would pick up on and have a good laugh about. And it just like it's felt so self-serving. So the idea of being interested, the ED as opposed to the ING, changes everything. That's the whole perspective of how... So I'm answering my own questions. What is it? What am I interested in with LeBron, like all of this stuff, what would I be wondering? What would, you know, and there was more phrases and thoughts and sayings as the game after the moment, as we went to break, as we came back and we showed the highlights. So there were things I was like, Oh, that's cool. Maybe I'll say like this whole bit about his nickname is the King and the, the crown, he's got the crown, the King, you know, but I didn't feel like that was the right thing to say in the moment because you know who knows who knows what how people are going to look back on it so uh we did all that later i did all that later as it i thought it fit so yeah just being able to go and that's the way my prep is always for and i love the prep that's why i i love what i do because i love finding out about all these athletes and you know everybody's got their own story whether you're the 15th man on an nba roster or you're lebron james Every, it's an amazing accomplishment to even get to this point. Everybody's got a cool story, and I'm really interested in finding out those stories. So that's why I'm so motivated to learn about these players and tell their stories mixed in around the play-by-play. -play. So that rhythm was totally normal for me to have this back and forth of, what are you interested in? Oh, let's go answer that. That means opening up the laptop, starting to dig all of that out there, putting the pieces together, the dates, the when did he do this? When did he do that? How many points did he have? Who was on the roster? Ricky Davis thought he was the best scorer when the 
for the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2003. He thought LeBron James was going to be a sidekick. Turns out LeBron James at 18 years old in his first game led all scores, which is fascinating. And then his son Bronny is at the arena. He's 18 at that moment. And I'm thinking, whoa, when this kid's dad was breaking into the league, starting the scoring record, they were the same age. That's the kind of stuff that's cool. So I am still, yeah, that's amazing. So the the night before you're digging into these stories, you're you're being curious, and that's you know happening just because you're interested in it. It's fueling, giving you the fuel for the tank tomorrow. What else is your routine that night? to be ready try to keep it the same dinner read um you know really the same there's no um i i I try to change things up in my life this is another thing where i know i'm a little bit different than most and uh i've just found it it works better for me if i change up the rhythm sometimes i'll put the mic post on the other side sometimes i'll sit on the other side of the table sometimes I try not to be, um, I don't know, I want to call it like superstitious in my habits, but I like to change my habits in order to change my brain. <laughs> Was there any nerves, anxious yeah. energy? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I'll tell, I'll share a story with you. I don't know if I, I would never like probably tell anybody but you this and all your millions of listeners. Here's the thing. So having gone through a few of these milestones, uh, I, and I learned this when I was working in golf because I used to talk to golfers and, and they always would say, I just, I need to go through this experience to see how my body feels, how my body's going to react. And I can remember talking to this PGA tour player who had a chance to win the masters once and, and he came up short and he said, I just, I don't like the way my body responded. I got to get better at that. And I got to displace that anxiety elsewhere. So this is a true story. So, I mean, that was years ago, and I learned how to think about it that way, too. So in this game, uh, I'm feeling really calm. And and I've done a few milestones. I did the Seth Curry milestone. Uh, when he established a three-point record in the NBA, I'd called that. A number of years later, or before, um, I did the Trevor Hoffman milestone when he got to 600 saves. So I'd had a few, like, big milestones that everybody's paying attention to. So that that experience helps. But in this case with LeBron, I felt really calm and I was just totally focused on the moment, the game, what's in front of me, the colors, the vibrancy of the arena. And then the play happens and then we go to break. And typically what I'll do, I have a little notepad and a little pencil and our producer, in this case, Tom Heights, will say, okay, coming back, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And I'll just usually like write down little bullet points so I – so he doesn't have to repeat it because he's got a lot going on and I'll just write it down. And Greg, I, I could not, my hand was shaking so hard. Now I didn't feel this in my voice, in my face. My voice was strong and I felt calm. My brain was calm, but it was coming out of my right hand where I couldn't write, write words and read them. It wasn't legible. It was just like, it was like violent shaking like Parkinson's almost, where I had no control of my right hand in that moment. What happens in your head when you see and that? And I was like, what? I don't <laughs> feel that way. Why? Have I, it's just, I was laughing at myself. You, like, okay. Are you kidding? You can't. And I tried to write it again, and I couldn't. 
and I'm making the motion here of me writing, but it was just like scribble. So your body was displacing the anxiety somewhere else, so that you didn't have to deal with it in the. <laughs> it was fine. All that anxiety was fine in my hand because that didn't yeah. have anything to do with me calling this play. Yeah, wherever it was, it wasn't in my voice, my vocal cords, my chest, my brain. Wow. It was in my hand, though, hard. <laughs> so I was just <laughs> laughing, like, look, I can't make a sentence. So wow. I only share that story because I like I want people to know that this is possible. This is a learned skill. And and I go back to listening to this golfer. His name was Brant Snedeker. Google him. And and I remember just having these long conversations with Brant about like displacing your anxiety so you can perform on the golf course. Or performing anything, anything you do, whether you're, you know, you're performing, you've been on stage, like you've felt anxiety. I'm sure you're displacing that to be able to execute and, you know, get into somewhat of a zone. But that has to come out somewhere. Yeah, typically um, just yeah. start breaking stuff, windows, tables. Maybe that's why rock stars <laughs> ruin hotel rooms. I don't know. They, <laughs> They're displacing. I didn't feel the need to uh, ruin a hotel room after that. But Okay, so... Uh, LeBron needs one more basket this, uh, to to break the record. And you, you say it's late in the third quarter. I can't remember exactly what you said. But then he's taking a, a fadeaway jump shot from pretty far back. And, and you choose to say a shot at history, mm. right? That's what you said? Yeah. A shot at history. So <laughs> it's, not a, it's not an easy shot. There's, there's a risk he's going to make it. Uh, how how confident were you that that was going to go oh. in? I don't know. That's a great question. You you had texted me that afterwards. I really didn't even think of it that way. It seemed risky to me. So I guess let's say if he didn't make the shot. Yeah, and you just said, a I, shot at history, and he oh, missed so good, and back come the thunder on the other end. So you just And I wouldn't and have go. said that again the next time. Like, I wouldn't have put the needle on the record and just kept saying, a shot at history, <laughs> Another. no good. <laughs> a shot at history. No good. So I don't know what I would have said. I wouldn't have said another shot at history because the one thing you do think about in moments like this is you take away all the current pieces to this because it is such a historical moment. So you don't say, here's a shot to pull him within five. You don't do that because you don't want any of that in the now stuff. Because that this call is gonna is gonna this clip is gonna be there forever. I mean, who knows how long? And so you don't want to have anything that makes it about that particular game. You conscious or, of that, or is yeah, that just definitely muscling? thought about that? You strip away things you would normally say. So in a normal, I'll give you an example. In a normal game, late third quarter, LeBron James turnaround jumper. I would say something to the effect of. LeBron James, tough shot, little fadeaway. It's good, and the Lakers are within five, and there's 10 seconds to go in the third quarter. So I didn't really do all that. You strip away those things because this is a historical moment, and it doesn't require the in-the-moment context. Um, so, yeah, that's probably why there was some silence there. But, yeah, a shot at history just felt like it. that's what it felt like, that, like, this is it. And when we were gone to break, prior to this window of time coming, where we knew LeBron, I think he was within six points. No, he was within four, maybe. And I said, like, 
okay, we're going to commercial. I said, the moment of truth has arrived here. Because you could just feel it, you know. And so I don't think, again, if I'm scripting all this out, then you're not feeling it. And I'm just, I'm glad that the moment of truth did arrive. But did you have a, a handful of one-liners that you were picking from? No. The night before, you are like, a no. shot at history. No. 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 I think I've been doing it so long, I already have a handful of one-liners. Yeah. Like things that I always say. You have yeah. your menu of things that you would call whatever you see like i that's something i did years ago just like okay what is my toolbox mm -hmm. how can i change this up so you don't say the same thing every time but I, uh in watching a few of your clips and even you talking about the the no hitter in the playoffs where you um it's, it's the same thing it's, it's steph curry or no hitter or whatever record you'll make this call and then you leave this space there why is that important what is that yeah, that really, um, that's just a, a stylistic um, protocol, I think, that I, I've used. Uh, you know, I the people that I admired did that, guys like Vin Scully, Ernie Harwell, legendary baseball announcers, Keith Jackson, Al Michaels. These are people that I looked up to, and I just like that. And, and just to be able to step away i think it takes a lot of restraint and some some selflessness and i that's kind of what i want to be about it's not about me and if you just keep talking <laughs> you're robbing the viewer of that experience of just the the sounds that are coming through you know and we had LeBron mic that night. So, you know, his mic was hot too. We, we didn't know what we were going to pick up from that. So, um, how do you mic an athlete? It's really cool. It's, uh, it's amazing technology that, that threads into the Jersey and we mic up uh, players every week and LeBron was kind enough to wear it. So we get his Jersey and we thread the microphone in there. It's a tiny little microphone and a tiny little transmitter. Now we got Dave's attention. And it goes right in the back of his jersey. He never feels it. Players don't feel it at all. So that that's why I just it feels you know to be a minimalist and and um, we're in the service industry. You know I I worked in the service industry before I started as an announcer and kind of carried that model over. Like whoa, I'm in the service industry. I'm serving the audience and the player and the team and the league. And so the best way I think to serve in moments like that is to step away from it and just be quiet until it feels appropriate to come back in. What What's it feel like knowing you're at the center of something that isn't about you? And so if you do it right, people aren't really going to notice you, but if you mess it up, everybody's angry at you oh. <laughs> uh, like you're you're being heard by millions of people you're in that room everybody sees it and in a way you, you're you are at the center of it but everyone's thinking about him I could see that as a collision of uh ego and being humbled at the same time yeah but like I'm a big deal but not at all <laughs> not, exactly you are right. and you aren't that is the ultimate tug of war that's what I deal with. And I think people are really tuned to that in my industry. 
they're the ones that I respect, that I like the most, and who I pattern myself after because it's almost like we're referees or officials. If nobody notices us, then we've done a good job. Now, there would be a lot of broadcasters, I would say, that definitely want to get noticed. And they definitely want to put their stamp on certain things. And I'm I'm not a fan of those kind of broadcasters. As a viewer, as a sports fan growing up, I didn't want people to insert themselves into these moments. Just even the little thing, like using the phrase I, using the word I or the phrase I saw or I think, or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think at all in that moment. So to me, that's the ultimate like pull is that, and I can almost imagine voices coming at me like, don't screw this up. Don't screw this up for me. I'm the viewer. Don't screw this up for me. I'm LeBron James. Don't screw this up for me. I'm the NBA. This is our league. This is our moment. Don't screw this up for us. Like those are the voices I hear. So yes, <laughs> if you screw that up, oh, it's so intense. you're, yeah. It Now there are other calls that they could have used. Certainly. Lakers TV, Lakers radio, Oklahoma City Thunder radio, the national radio. I mean, there are, there are other, there are five other calls they could have used had I messed it up. They would have just attached somebody else on there. But, you know, nobody wants to screw those up. That's why it's so intense in those moments. Um, but that's all the time. Like, that's it's more intense for a historical moment like that. But everything that comes out of your mouth when you're calling a game and I've had the same feeling even when there was 100 people listening to minor league baseball on the radio. It's like, man, I've got to serve the listener, the viewer. i got to serve the player, the team, the league. You're constantly, if you think about it from that service perspective, I think that's what changes everything. It makes things better, but also it makes you more aware and hyper-focused when you're constantly thinking about who am I serving right now. You're not serving yourself I'm not serving Brian Anderson right now because if I was, I'd be going, I just called LeBron James. Look at me. I called it. So that's not what I want to do at all. I want to make sure the the moment hits right. Has an athlete ever come up to you after a big game and said, hey, thanks for not messing up my call? Not that. I don't thanks think for they, doing a good job. They don't think about it that way. But Stephen Curry, you know, and I, we had the Warriors maybe – I don't know, a couple of weeks after the when he set the three-point record in the NBA, and he came right over the table. He goes, man, you killed that. You, made, you gave me goosebumps or something like that. He goes, I, I love to hear. I love the way you did that. He's not thinking all the mechanics that I am, but he's like, oh, when I watched it, I watched myself, and then I heard that. That made me feel good. Yeah. So that's basically what he means. Let's, let's listen to that. That's awesome. That was a really cool moment because that was at Madison Square Garden. You knew this record was coming. It was a totally different vibe because, you know, it's not the greatest record. There is, it's a new way. The the NBA's changed, you know, so like three-pointers are coming more frequently. So that wouldn't have been a record that Oscar Robertson would have chased because they didn't have a three-point line. And then it wasn't something that anybody cared about. 
but it was a cool record and it's a it's an an establishment of something that is going to be tough to be broken as well but it was at madison square garden it had the same you know this great stage and celebrities everywhere same kind of vibe and he only needed two starting that game so that you knew that was going to come quick whereas the bronze you knew it was going to come later so i can remember having these conversations of hey we all got to dial it up fast because and right away boom he made a three and then then he was tied you know and then almost right away he he uh made the the second one which was the record setting one after you experience something like that who do you want to talk to about it Mm. Who do you want to process it with, share it with? Who do you want to hear from? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, family, obviously. My wife, daughter. Something about my dad, too. Like, when my dad checks in, because he was such a fan of just broadcasting. Like, he always had games on the radio. He was the guy we would be scratching through the radio. This is before the digital age and finding games somewhere that we could find across the dial. He would find that sweet spot where you'd pick up the signal. And so, I don't know. I think when he responds and in my mom to, you know, my brother, those are the people that matter most. But when you do a game like this or a call like this, and I've been on the other side so many times, you know, Kevin Burkhart just called his first Super Bowl, and I texted him right away, like, man, you killed that. Like, you you did an amazing job. And he responds right away. And I think, like, hearing from the people that are in the business that you respect, that really matters too. Probably shouldn't, but those are your friends, and these are the people who, like, really know what it's like to be in a moment like that, in that seat. And so... You know, when my phone, in this case, just starts lighting up with every recognizable announcer you can think of. And that's cool. Because mm. you know they're... And they've also been there in the times when you haven't done so well. Like, I had a pretty major mistake at the end of an NCAA tournament game once. And, you know, when the same people who who texted or chimed in then are now like, man, that way to go, I love that that connection between like those who are in it when maybe you didn't get it quite right. And then who, those who hit you up when, when you did it wrong. I actually have a list. I kept all of them and sometimes I'll go back and look at it. I don't know if they would want me to share it, but I'll, you know, Mike Tarico, Mike Breen, Kevin Harlan, Ian Eagle, um, Dan Shulman, Scott Van Pelt, Greg Gumble, Michael Kay, Andrew Catalan, Corey Provis, Chip Carey, David Aldridge, Jason Benetti, Dave Pash. So that I mean that there's a I guess there's a longer list, but I, I actually kept on my notes what they said. And that actually, uh, it was an NCAA tournament game, and it wasn't horrible, but I didn't, it was a shot that was for the win, that was for the tie, and I called it for the win. And then he made the shot, and it was actually for the tie, and it went to overtime. And it was an Elite Eight game, it was a massive audience, and you know, I, I corrected it immediately, but it was like, ah, crazy scramble play. But, and I was devastated, um, just because those are the ones you want to nail, and we had such a 
great broadcast and kind of broadcast you're like dang we could win an emmy for this you know it's a great game it's a great broadcast and i didn't quite like nail that ending um again not horrible but in at my level you want to always hit those notes but i'll tell you man i'm so glad i went through that because the the people that responded and the things that they said i didn't know it's like the things you would hear at a funeral and i i got to hear those things without having to die so it was actually uplifting in a lot of ways. And then just to be able to like talk to Al Michaels about it. And he's like, nah, don't worry about that. I made a mistake doing this. And he starts listing all, because we all remember our mistakes. And then every big time broadcaster I would talk to after that, oh, I remember when I did this and I had this and I had that. It's like, wow, okay. We strive for perfection in this industry. And just to hear, I didn't know a lot of these stories either especially from the older guys, the Bob Costases and the Al Michaels. And they're like, yeah, well, I remember when I made a mistake when I was this and I was on NBC and I didn't remember that. And that's kind of a good point too, that people don't remember that. And so I, I love the, uh, the, you know, just the idea that the people who were there when you sucked <laughs> were also there when you nailed one. You know, I love that. Those are the, those are the people that I care about. So what's next for Brian Anderson? And I mean that in terms of what's coming up that you're excited about, but also what are moments that you would consider like, I'm not, not that you have a bucket list per se, but other records, other types of games, what's, what's go, what, what, what is for sure coming and what do you think would be cool to do someday? Well, I've always... I mean, the, I think the only bigger record than the NBA scoring record is probably, and NBA fans may disagree with this, but I, as I see it, the Major League Baseball home run, career home run record, is the holy grail of records. Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's record. Nobody's even close to that. I mean, that's never going to be broken, I don't think. Not in my lifetime. No one's even on a path <clears throat> to even pursue that um so as far as records go i don't think there's anything bigger than what i just did than that record the lebron uh, scoring record uh there will be records broken and milestones and and you know I'm, i've been really lucky to be a part of a number of those um i thought trevor hoffman's saves record at that time uh, was going to be the greatest thing I'd ever call, like as far as a milestone goes. He got to 600 saves, the unthinkable number. Just a couple of years later that, Mariano Rivera passed that and ended up ends up owning the record. But at that time, and then it was in Milwaukee, I mean, what are the odds? You know, I'd say, this is great. This is amazing that I'm here. And then to be the odds that I would even be in the in the wheel because we're national TV. We don't do all the games of these teams. So the, the odds that my turn in the order came up when Curry broke the record at Madison Square Garden on a Tuesday night, and then my turn comes up again on a Tuesday night in Los Angeles. So that's set long so, before. Yeah, set long before. If, if LeBron didn't set the record on this particular Tuesday, Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller were calling the game Thursday on TNT. So their next game. So, you know, I think we're all playing this like record roulette basically mm -hmm. to see where it's going to fall. And then, you know, it's an incredible good fortune 
uh, for me to be in that seat in those moments. Um, so what's next? I have no idea. Like, that's the beautiful thing about sports is that you could have an incredible moment. I was not expecting Roy Halladay to throw a no-hitter in the playoffs in 2010. I was actually mad I got switched on to that series. I was supposed to do the Braves and the Giants that year. And about three days before, they switched us on to the Reds and the Phillies. And I can remember being, like, upset about that because I had done all this preparation for the Braves and the Giants. And then they flipped it on us. And I think it was Chip Carey who they sent to the Braves-Giants, and they put me on Reds-Phillies. And I was even mad about that. Like, why would they switch? I've done all this work. And then he throws a no-hitter, and it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a, what a, a draw that was. And so, you know, that those are the kind of things that you're always ready for. You never know what you're going to see. Um that's a beautiful thing about sports and, you know, to be it, the soundtrack of it is an honor to, to be at this level where actually people care about it. I've called a bunch of milestones, even in the minor leagues, but not that many people cared about it. I called Tyrone Horn hitting four home runs in a game, but nobody really knew or cared about it because it was double A, but it was important to that player. And yeah. so you give it the same kind of all and you give it the same kind of recognition but yeah, when millions of people are on top of it, that's when the the gears change a little bit. The NBA All Star Game is is next, and um, that's a cool thing for me to be a part of. So it'll be my first NBA All Star Game. I've done all the events of All Star Weekend, so I started at a couple um, of the rookie sophomore games, which used to be on a Friday, and and then the All Star Saturday night, which is a slam dunk three point skills competition which I did last year so this will be like the trifecta of <laughs> I haven't done the celebrity game I, I guess that's on a different network but the things that we do at TNT um, that'll be the trifecta and so uh, that'll be a great experience I can't wait to do that it's totally different than a regular game so yeah. it'll be my first I'm working with Candace Parker who's going to make history She's going to be the first woman to ever be the lead analyst on a on an All Star game, any All Star game in men's sports. Nice. So she's uh, the headline grabber for this game, which I'm very happy about. I love Candace, and she's phenomenal at her job. And Reggie Miller will be with us, and Dennis Scott will be on the sideline. And then um, you know we're going to interview the players, and we're going to have all kind of stuff going on during the game. It'll be a totally immersive experience. And really what happens until the fourth quarter, what happens inside the game doesn't really matter. So it's more of a, you're like a point guard spinning plates, trying to make sure everybody's setting other people served. up and making sure you get the promos in Greg. It's yeah, really important. Get the promos in. Do you look at, <laughs> do you, will you look at Twitter to see how people feel about you being the. No way. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You can, any, any question that starts with, will you look at Twitter is immediate? No, 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 I won't. <laughs> immediate. I no. Won't. Well, but you look at Twitter and you let me know. I'll, yeah, I'll but tell you. Make sure you only the good that ones. Through. Twitter is a real evil place at times. Yeah. It's pretty messed evil up. Evil people are on Twitter and they definitely they, they say like things it. to try to rattle like you up. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that day's long gone. Yeah. One of my favorite things you just said, and can, I'll end with this, uh, you talked about being in the minor leagues and you're announcing a game and there's a player who does something that's really epic for that player, for that team, for that context and being putting your whole heart into it. 
for what it is in that universe that it's in and already having that muscle memory of, no, I've already done this. I've already done huge things because you value the hugeness of that in its relativity to that moment. And I think that speaks to one of my favorite things about you is the uh, ability to be the person that you are when nobody's watching. And there's a mm-hmm. sense of you're, you're calling this game and yes, people are critiquing what you're saying, but you know, the crew that's around you knows that you value them. The players, you know, they know that you value them. Um, the players, families or friends know that you value them. Anybody who comes in the booth, you value them. And so I just think there's a depth to uh, a satisfaction to watching you make a call like this one with LeBron, because I know that the heart behind that and the practice behind that is and this quality of it is something you can trace back to the way that you actually choose to spend your time when nobody's watching. And I think people know that about you, but it's fun to say it to the mm-hmm. 94 people that'll, <laughs> that'll listen to this. I appreciate that, Greg. That means more, that means more than all the other stuff. And that's what I try to express to young announcers is just take you out of it. Serve people. Do your job well and work hard to do your job well, but just serve people and, and you'll, you'll be shocked at where it'll get you. And don't always try to put yourself in the middle of the spotlight or in the middle of the, of the story. And that's really, I didn't always know that. So um, I learned that a few years into this business and in my life. And that's really the most important thing, no matter what line of work you're in. Thanks for listening to the Peg Leg Podcast. Peace.